Hello and welcome to the Easter episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Tales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during the time of continued crisis, and I am just sending out a thought to the people of KZN who have been hit by, wow, what is of the most catastrophic floods I have certainly ever seen in my lifetime in this country. Uh, So much devastation out there, and this comes after 2021 that was mired by the looting and rioting and the pandemic that established itself in South Africa in KZN as well, Um, and still the region's constant battle as pretty much the epicenter of the AIDS pandemic in South Africa. It's just a lot of things going on in that province right now. But I am joined, as always, by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon Rodney Whiteman. How are you doing, sir? Good day to you, Lindsay. Uh, As I said to you, I'm a bit bit tired at this stage of the day, Um, but it's a good tired. Um, um, Otherwise, improving, I think, um, in my health, in recuperation after my operation. And I um, thank thank you for all your prayers and thoughts for me uh, during this time. Um, they say full recovery is in is three months, so I hope that um, I'm moving slowly towards that that goal. And then yes, let me also say, Lindsay, um, let me share with you in the thought for our sisters and brothers in the um, northeastern part of our country. Um, having to be challenged by uh, the natural disaster of floods. Um, on Thursday, I heard in when I when we spoke about this at the Monday Thursday service to pray for them. Um, there was over 240 people already that had succumbed um, to those disasters, and you know, in just like one fall and the flood, and then. People die is, you know, it's so us how fragile we as humans are and that even the structures we think are solid enough, the roads, you know, seeing the roads just burst open and cars falling into some of them, you know, we are, we even the structures we build are not indestructible. Yeah. Um, we are, at, as it were, at the mercy of nature. Um we live in a, in a dyna- I call it a dynamic world. Um, and of course, we are fragile. We are, we, we have big mouths and big egos, but we are just little ants in the bigger picture of things, bigger scheme of things. And so we have to say, what do we learn out of all of this? <coughs> so that the sisters and brothers' deaths will not be in vain. Mm-hmm. It must be something that we can do to celebrate their their life and not forget, uh, you know, their death. So our prayers go out to them and their families who are left behind and those who have to rebuild their lives because they lost property. It's horrendous. Um, I mean, we've been silent about the HIV thing for a long time. Um, we're assuming it's no longer in the building. Hmm. But there's still over 5 million, if not more, of our citizens who are infected. And um, <clears throat> and young people at that, where daily infections are accounted for. But is it because so much happens, Lindsay, like, you, you know, Cape Town, we don't have 
we don't have we didn't have floods recently. Yeah, uh, we've got the pandemic. We don't talk much about HIV and AIDS. It's not the epicenter there all. So it's almost as if we think we're okay. Uh, and you know, there's a there's beware if you think you stand that you fall. So we must learn from others, and we must also appreciate life, and um, you know, recognize that um, others go through tougher things than we do. Yeah. Um, and we must learn to appreciate uh, at the same time as well. Yeah, it's 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 been an interesting little. I wouldn't call it a thought experiment, um, but I've been investigating other regions of our continent as well and looking at the differences um, in culture and consumption habits and like those sorts of things there. And it, it's very easy to lose sight of our Africanness mm. from like this far southern tip of Africa here in Cape Town, um, where we we actually a lot more the United States of South Africa than we are like South Africa. Um, where it's like we 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 live in this world where we have access to all of the creature comforts of modern life. Um, and we forget that large swathes of our country are still in rural poverty where the effects of climate change, for instance, and poor governance are really felt firsthand there because they don't have a buffer. They don't have a pillow of money that they sleep on every night um, that they can pay to have their cars fixed or, you know, pay insurances um, to cover in these kinds of events. Although I think the insurances are but in a strange spot right now, because this is definitely an act of God kind of thing and not like mm. the riots where there was still SAS rear cover and there was like checks and balances in place or at least safety nets in place for that. So there's going to be a lot of people who don't have the money to recover from it, um, who will be taken advantage of and left um, and left behind um, mm. in, in, the, in the rebuilding phase because of ignorance because of poor governance because of a lot of things uh but yeah uh, let's can i just can i just say yeah. that that's why we need people like you because that is that information of those realities must be must be heard so that we can draw them into our liturgies when we worship because liturgy is the work of the people of god not just spiritually but what you learn through liturgy of worship, you can then take out and find a way to make it part of the conversations around infrastructures, around the detriment in which people are living in the rural areas, around all the issues you've raised. Hopefully, through the liturgy, people can begin to and give to their places of work, to government and all of that, you know, a kind of a, a part of a conversation that shows us the church is not too heavenly minded and of no earthly use. Mm. So, but not just bringing, praying for the people of where a disaster happens, which we must do. What are the other ways we can incorporate a natural disaster in? 
our Eucharist, in our in our services, because the the the, the bottom line of the Eucharist is body broken, wine not poured. Mm-hmm. For who? something must be broken and something so that it is shared, and something must be poured so that it's spread. So you know the the the, the centrality of a Eucharist is both the gospel and the Eucharist. So how does that then become a source of wisdom for us to act mm. in the in 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 the the in 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 where human life is being impaired unnecessarily uh, and intentionally in some places. Mm. But these are all like important um, themes uh, that we might actually touch on in 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 our discussion. And obviously, it is the Easter version of the podcast, the Easter episode. Uh, but we also didn't have a. Good Friday one, because I think they, because of people now returning to the churches and stuff, there was a lot more opportunities to kind of engage with um, the liturgy through what would be the traditional ways of going to church and stuff. So didn't want to add to like the noise around this very intense time, because I can tell you as 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 a bit of an as an agnostic um, who is married to a very spiritual woman who has a deep relationship with faith, um, I listen to or have heard the most spiritual music I have probably heard in the last three or four years um, over this weekend, because it's just been like constantly. And then I will have to disclose something very important so my daughter's obviously 10 um a little bit too young to be watching the passion of the christ we were discussing kind of exposing her to that uh but then i found a recording of a staged version of jesus christ superstar which was recorded or at least performed in 2018 with john legend um as jesus and it's one of my favorite andrew lloyd Webber projects um, and I did not, I've only ever seen it twice and watching it with my daughter, she lost interest in, cause I mean, it's, it's a bit heavy, like, or at least difficult to follow because it's a rock opera and like, there's a lot of things going on there, but I didn't know that I had internalized in my two viewings of the play, I internalized the narrative of Jesus Christ Superstar. And I have actually been unconsciously peppering it into my editorial or at least my my content in the podcast or my responses in my points of view um the way i've characterized jesus as like this rock star and going through just like a contemporary take on what his time on earth would have been like um and like him growing in his fame and picking up the following and i was watching this thing and i'm like this is actually what I've been saying the entire time, and I apologize that <laughs> I did not know that my bias was formed within that, and this is my official disclosure. Have you ever seen Jesus Christ Superstar? That's the that's the point I was going to make to you soon after you finish it. I actually never did. Okay. But I interestingly just opened it up now, and my first reaction is to ask, why is Judas a black man? Ooh, because that they they're just telling it in, in it doesn't really matter um, 
but but there it's it's again like Judas is a very he's one of the the he's obviously a follower of Jesus and there's this tension between Judas and Jesus where Judas is seeing Jesus kind of lean into the fame and the adoration of the people a little bit too much and lose sight of the movement and the message that they're trying to convey where it's like um, Mary Magdalene has this wonderful song where she's talking about anointing him with ointment and stuff. And then Judas is like, but that is expensive. We could have used that money to feed the poor. And then his betrayal, I'm making air quotes, um, because hashtag justice for Judas, if it wasn't a Judas and a betrayal, there wouldn't be a crucifixion and there wouldn't be a, Christi a Christianity. Um, but his betrayal is because he thinks or he believes that Jesus has changed, that Jesus has lost sight of the mission. And then he tries to, I, I don't, they never really explain, or I don't, they don't have time to kind of dive into what the succession plan would be for Judas. Um, but yeah, that's the, the central tension of, of the play. Yeah, but it does actually, it's, the word superstar is deceptive because the way you 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 sharing it gives me the sense that it's looking at Jesus from a very humanistic point of view. Yes, yes. Um, and um, and I suppose that in one level we have to because he presents himself in human form. Mm. Uh, Paul went uh, to tell us it's more than just a human form in the form of a slave, in the form of a servant, in the Philippians passage. Um, uh, so, so let me put it like this to you. If there wasn't a betrayal, there wouldn't have been a crucifixion. Hmm. Did the crucifixion need a betrayal? Yes. By all accounts, there wasn't enough evidence for, so here's, here's an interesting. interesting. No, no, it's very interesting you say that, but I'm going to take you on on that. Um, yes. When, the... when reading the passion narrative on on Good Friday, and on and 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 preparing for all this, I realized that what they said at his trial mm. wasn't even what Judas had uh, had 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 said. Yes, um, Judas was just like the the he just needed to give them a time and a place where Jesus would be away from the crowds so that they could capture him make their case so it's kind of like the the old idea in, in public relations where you get out ahead of a story so it's like if you know you're going to do something bad you get out ahead of it so the sanhedrin didn't have the authority to execute sure so they needed the romans to do the execution but to convince the romans that this dude was a big enough problem they needed to capture him and then present this, the case from their side with him captured um, okay. instead of going up against his followers as well. There's one part you missed out, which I think is a crucial part of the whole story. Is okay. They needed somebody to identify Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, because they didn't know who he was. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and Judas was said, yeah, in one narrative said the one that I kiss. Mm -hmm. But yes. but but kissing was a normal part of greeting. 
Yeah. So it wouldn't not have been easy to determine whether that was, uh, although he in the narrative doesn't tell us whether he greets the other guys uh, of the of the twelve. Yeah. The reason why 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 I'm I'm I'm, I'm getting to this is because who wrote the script towards the crucifixion? Or having written the beginning and the end, and as people responded to the Jesus of the incarnation, who becomes Jesus the preacher of the kingdom and the teacher of the kingdom with special qualities to heal and to empower. Um, and as he trudges along from the Sea of Galilee, because the script, I'm just, I'm, this is not hypothetical, right? The script of the incarnation, the script of the, of the death, the crucifixion, that in between there are responses to him. And we re realize that the responses to him is not always, yeah, we have our hero. Yeah, but, yeah. but at the same time, we have our hero and then he becomes the villain again <laughs> because there's a confusion around who, who will this messianic figure be? Mm. Um, it's interesting that in the, the John passage, they tell, they tell Pilate, who asks him, should I now have this man killed? They said, yes, because we have a law that says he must be killed mm. because he made a claim that he was mm. the son of God. So according to their law, if you make that claim, you execute it based on that claim. Mm. What we don't hear in the narrative is what did Judas and the Sanhedrin actually talk about? Mm. What were the conversations? Why did they trust that Judas would do what he done? So that's that's part of why I like scripture. You have to get into it in order to be able to try and understand even the missing nuances of its of his engagement. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is this. Did God, if God wrote the narrative of of salvation with the crucifixion as um, an, a, a culminating point in the whole point towards his resurrection, did God know that not everybody on earth would would accept Jesus and there's two things um why what that we have it's the denying of Jesus mm. the betrayal of Jesus now which one is the worst of the lot and and why are both in the script um the one who says I I'm I don't know him and the one who says, the one I kiss, I really know who I'm talking about, but I mm -hmm. believe. So does that focus on your point? Where did Judas get disillusioned if betrayal was his response to being disillusioned by Jesus? Because that's what that book I told you about earlier, in, I can't even remember the title now. That's what that author says, the same point you're making. Yeah. Somewhere along the line. Along the journey, Judas became disillusioned with Jesus. Now, did it happen when 
the thing that you cited, when Mary was washing the feet of Jesus and Judas said, well, your mission should be about poor people. Mm. Why are you causing wastage? Mm. So did he therefore see Jesus as one who would save the poor economically? Would that mm. be something one could think about in trying to understand the possible disillusionment of a person like Judas, who then decides the only way out here is to betray, and the, sink, the sign of betrayal became the silver coins? Hmm. Very interesting uh, to think about that, because obviously we aren't, we aren't given that side of the story through the Gospels. We aren't given full insight into that. But again, it, it then jives with something that I've been saying for a long time, where there's two separate Jesuses that we are shown. One is when he journeys from Jerusalem to Galilee. And he's, that is very much with the Sermon of the Mount in mind, where he's laying the foundations of his philosophy bare for everybody. And you really get a sense of there's more parables, there's more, there's just more peace and love talk. And then when he comes in the return direction, then suddenly he's, <laughs> yeah, he's he's feeling himself, like he's, he's, he's getting a bit carried away. And now there's like donkeys that he's riding into the, the thing with. And then there's, was the Lazarus resurrection, was that on his way back? It was, uh, depending on where you place the narrative, <laughs> um, I think I'm almost sure that only John's gospel tells the story about Lazarus' resurrection, mm -hmm. but I, I stand corrected. Um, now, again, here we explored in our theological studies, was, John, was Lazarus ra raised from the dead or was he resuscitated? Tated. Mm. That was the theological debate that we had to write about or we learned about. Um, and our resuscitation, is resuscitation very close to what resurrection actually meant? Now, when you resuscitated, have you died? When you raised, you, you have died but you are raised from a grave. Now, resuscitation does not take place when you've been already put in the grave. According to the, to the, to the Lazarus story, he was in the grave four days. Yes. In the Jesus, Yeah, Jesus was in the grave three days. It's always interesting that Jesus never raised himself. Yeah. According to the, God raised him from the dead. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so there's another little story we don't find in the Gospels that you find in Peter, where Peter believed that in order to save everybody, Jesus goes down into the pit of hell and redeems those who've gone to hell before the crucifixion actually took place. Mm. So we have to find a way that how do you bring all of these things together? Because sometimes you read something here and you read something there and you say, 
isn't there a connection between these things? And of course, then you look at the, the sources where they come from and the dates that they are yeah. talking about. So I'm hearing your question. Did Lazarus' resurrection happen when he was going on his way back to, when he was going on his way from Galilee to, to Jerusalem? Mm. If the incident of Mary washing Jesus' feet happened in the home of Martha and Mary, mm. where the narrative tells us that um, the perfume smell was there, but not too long before that, the stench of death was there. Mm. So, so, and Lazarus was at the table when Mary did what she did. So he had already been resurrected. That story is told as we prepare for Calvary. Mm. Was it a prefiguration, therefore, that resurrection is possible? Mm. Because it's at that point of Lazarus' resurrection that Jesus says to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, yet shall they live in those. Um, and so do you believe this? Mm -hmm. And then Martha says, yes, I do. And then he calls Lazarus for. So it's interesting how we put this, this together to try and form a kind of a consistent story. Yeah. If it is, then was prefiguration and intention of the gospel writers where resurrection is possible mm. and that Jesus becomes the resurrection and the life because God raised him from the dead, which is the Easter celebration. Mm. But yeah, just to kind of close the loop on this, this idea of the two Jesuses uh, on his journey to Galilee um, from Jerusalem after he's baptized um, he is very reluctant to perform miracles. Mm -hmm. But on the return journey, this dude is like dishing out miracles left, right and center, you know. And I mean, at, at the time, miracles weren't really a point of differentiation, <laughs> if you will. Uh, there were like a lot of guys going around performing miracles. And yes, yes. Even Jesus said uh, somebody got caught asking for healing in his name. And the disciples were a little bit worried about that because they were not part of their group. And Jesus yes. said to them, don't worry about much about that. You know, if they're doing it in my name, then that's perfectly okay. Yeah. Can I just give you my view of what you yeah. say to Jesus? Yeah. In sharing his message of the kingdom, to get, to prepare people for what's going to happen on the road from Galilee to Jerusalem. Mm. He gives them the a pre, uh, he gives them the information, he gives them the story of what he was about. Um, there's a text here, if I'm sorry if I'm jumping the gun, no worries. But in the Gospel of tomorrow, Luke 24, 1 to 12, verse 8 says, Then they remembered his words. And when I read this Gospel, that popped out to me. It was as if 
the recall of what he had said um, was 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 vital to them being able to return from the tomb and to relate the event. There was the words that he spoke, and then there was the outcome of the words in the in the tomb being empty. Mm-hmm. So as he goes closer to Jerusalem to Jerusalem for the crucifixion, that which he spoke of the kingdom in parabolic form and in other discourses is now also captured in. So in a way, salvation's work is both the word and the ministry of healing and wholeness that is happening. But and the culmination of that, the fulfillment of all of that is Calvary. Mm-hmm. So the crucifixion and the resurrection is the galvanizing moment for Christianity. So on this, Peter goes forth his guilt of like denying Jesus and then he like overcompensates and he becomes the driving force behind the spreading of Christianity um, throughout the region. And then Paul, who who Saul, at least, who is out there, like, because Peter, does Peter send Stephen to go and give alms? Yes, he he was sent, he was not Peter, it was the, it was the leadership of the church in Jerusalem who ordained seven guys to be deacons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then he sends, they send out Stephen to go give alms, and then Saul pretty much has a big hand in kind of, the stoning of Stephen, which is bizarre. And then he's like, no, yeah. on from this moment, I'm not going to go on this rampage and just like out all these Christians. And then he heads to Damascus to now go tune the, to go convince the synagogues there. And then he has his, 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 his come to Jesus moment. Um, and then become, his epiphany. And then he becomes alongside Peter. So Peter is kind of in, the traditional area of like the Eastern Roman Empire. But then Paul is like, no, we need to take this further. They never, act- do they actually meet? Uh, they they kind of run in parallel with each other. Um, and then that's how the church kind of spreads. And then they both die kind of in Nero, Nero's, Emperor Nero's purging of the Christians with, within Rome, um, which is, is quite tragic. But just to think that the, Christianity that Jesus was spreading while he was alive. I mean, but I mean, it was only like for what, three years um, that that he was busy. Uh, It didn't reach the heights that the Bible hypes it up to have. Because he probably had maybe a thousand followers throughout the province of, or at least the the area of of Judea. Um, Couldn't have been much more than that. Obviously, there was no internet. So he didn't have a social media <laughs> following. Um, but it's just the the emergence of Christianity, the story of Christianity that gets galvanized on Calgary is a very interesting tale of serendipitous coincidences um, and and those co- but it's it's driven by two principal figures and not by Jesus, which is it's 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 a weird thing to think about. Well, one of my first responses to what you've just said now is 
Acts of the Apostles, mm. which is the second volume of Luke's um, writings about yeah. about Jesus. So probably probably that is a very key um, uh, resource to reflect on. Acts of the Apostles is never called the book of the Acts of the Apostles, although mm. that's what some Protestant churches would want us to believe. It is it is a recording of the Acts of the Disciples after Pentecost, mm. when the Spirit of the Lord had come upon them, as Jesus promised that he would. Because John's Gospel tells us that when he appeared in one of the appearance stories after the resurrection, he breathed on them and said, receive my spirit. Mm. So as he spoke, his breath, you know, was the symbolism of him imparting his spirit uh, to them. But also speech, ne? Mm. telling of the story, um, but not telling the story without the empowerment of the spirit in order to tell the story in the way that it should be told because it's a good news of salvation. Mm. And so the Acts of the Apostles in some theologians' minds, I learned many years ago, uh, some people would say it could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the, the, the formation of the church uh, after Pentecost. Remember, when the when when the spirit came upon them it was a jewish festival mm. <clears throat> they were in the upper room and the author luke describes uh, who was all in jerusalem at the time and when the disciples had received the spirit um, they went out and they were speaking about the council the whole council of god Two people whose language yeah. never heard yeah. that kind of message yet, but it was told in the language that they could understand. Mm -hmm. So basically, it now breaks down the Tower of Babel thing. Yeah. Where yeah. nobody could understand each other. Now everybody's able to understand through the workings of the Spirit the whole counsel of God in their own language. Mm. Now, when Luke writes this, the intention was to understand how, even through persecution, when, when, when the Christians were being persecuted, as they were telling their stories and fleeing at the same time, mm. some, of course, being caught and dying, others, of course, um, being able to continue, the intention was that they would take it as... Um, the first chapter of Acts says, from Jerusalem through Samaria, Jerusalem is Jewish, Samaria mm -hmm. is Gentile, uh, or not totally Gentile, sub-Gentile, su sub-Jew, whatever way you want to put yeah. it, then yeah. to the farthest ends of the earth, and their mind, the world ended in Rome. Yes. yes. So even if Paul eventually comes to Rome, his intention was, because he said, I want to see the emperor. Mm. And because he was a Roman citizen and he used that yes. as a means yes. to see the emperor, what was the intention? So the work of the spirit, even through persecutions and imprisonments and so on, that eventually it's, it's done what Acts 1 was saying. From Jerusalem through Samaria 
to the furthest ends of the earth. But now we must also remember, there were other people also existing in the world, and you would often now begin to read things like Jesus visited India and all those kind of things. The, <laughs> the, the kind of, and then there's evidence that people have worshipped him because of those narratives that have been told, or the evidence of those narratives. I don't know, I haven't read of that. Mm. We sit in the Bible that tells a story uh, collated um, between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. Yeah. And so we have the construct of a West, because Rome then becomes the seat of where the Pope is. Mm. And Constantine and all of that kind of stuff then becomes the shaping of the Christian church, the Christian, um, um, the structure, which is, in, if you look at the Roman Catholic Church and the Anglican Church, very much based on some of the cultural things of Rome. Like our robes, for example, have got, has got correlation with that kind of, um, you yeah. know, uh, uh, status and all of that kind of things. But, I mean, what we wear is symbolism, but it's far, it's what we what we are representing, when who we represent is far deeper than just um, bragging with your cope or whatever it is, mm. the color. Because so, people want to want to wear special stuff like that. And, you know, this cope is better made and materialized. We lose yeah. the plot when we start doing that. But the intention of Acts was to take us to there. Then we have, of course, the various letters that are written, uh, bringing us right up to the, the revelation of John. As the church is beginning, being formed in the diaspora, mm. Mm. house churches, uh, small groups of people, you know, Paul them were not, and Peter them were not dealing with huge congregations at the time. So, it's the movement of the spirit through those who became followers of Jesus. Remember, it's interesting how the development of as those who are the disciples are post apostolic because they are sent on the mission. Mm. And in being apostolic, they go and found churches. They mm. find Christian communities. Now, it did start small. But it did spread as far as we are able to say across the globe. But I suppose there are communities in isolation that has never been affected by westernization, urbanization, the internet, uh, even by church missionaries whose isolation was... You know, I mean, do we know whether we have met all the peoples of the earth, you know, in mm. every country? I don't know. But certainly Christianity is a global religion amongst other religions. Yeah. Uh, it is a global religion. Uh, why? Because in our understanding, through the workings of the Holy Spirit, after Jesus, and he didn't take it back, Jesus said he will send his spirit, who will teach us all things that he has taught us, and we will understand that. And we will be his witnesses, Luke says, to from from Jerusalem through Samaria to 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 what's the ends of the earth, and that is what happens. But again, yeah, I mean, you know, who would have thought that they thought the ends of the earth was Rome? 
you know, the ends of the earth was wrong. Yeah. So we, we do see, for want of a better word, Lindsay, and I do apologize, a primitive mindset. Mm. But a start. Yeah. To what you normally call a movement. <laughs> <laughs> that has changed people's lives to live in a particular kind of way. But we also have to understand that the spreading of the gospel has often been spread with, with from one culture, one cultural setting, and so often brought into another context. And then it's not so much the gospel that changed the people only, it's also the cultural things like with colonialization, mm. you know. Mm -hmm. People became more westernized. Your name, Lindsay, was favored because it sounded like an English name that was a Christian name. Because remember on the forms in the past, we were asked, what was our Christian names? And yeah. you said, my Christian name is Zulu. They would discount that as being Christian. <laughs> they would give you a Christian name because Zulu was not Christian. Why? Because it was in English. Mm. So, yes, in our modernizing of the church, in our evangelization of the church, there's lots of things we have to, without throwing the baby out of the bathwater, we have to realize, you know, here's a bit of cultural stuff that we don't need to hang on to. Like, mm. for example, the queen is seen as the figurehead of the Anglican church in, in, uh, globally. But do we in South Africa still sing God save our gracious queen? No. But it's in the prayer book. Not in the prayer book. It's in one of the hymn books. Not in the book. It's not in the modern prayer. It's in the South African prayer book, but not in the, the modern prayer book. Mm. Well, I don't even know if it's in the, the South African prayer book. I've been better be careful that I say that. <laughs> but isn't that interesting? How, how in spite of the complicatedness, the movement continued. The gospel continued to spread. Um, Unfortunately, it's easily hijackable. Hmm. I was about to I was about to make that point now where it's like you you get all these even like in, in Jesus Christ Superstar where it follows or at least I've internalized that portrayal of of Jesus um and his rise to power and because it covers like kind of the last week of his of his life. Um, but in there again, they cast Herod as a villain, um, and Pilate also as a quasi kind of villain, where there are redemptive moments within his his uh, dialogue, but it's mostly portrayed as an evil, um, or at least villainous, where it's like, Again, I've made this point before where the Roman Empire wasn't really bothered by Jesus's movement because he was just another preacher. It was just a little inconvenience to them. And Herod was actually had a big hand in building the temple. Um, yeah. And it, like the the idea of the law that if someone proclaimed himself the son of God um, would be put to death was because Emperor Augustus at the time um, who was Julius or at least Caesar's son, um, he <laughs> proclaimed himself the son of God. So the money literally had his head on it saying the son of God. Yes, yes, that's <laughs> correct. That's correct. Uh, but then like you look at 
like at Constantine. So he was the first. Uh, so up until Constantine, um, this this new religion, this new movement of Christianity that had kind of broken away from Ju uh, Judaism um, wasn't legal in the Roman Empire of which Israel was a part, at least the province of Judea. Um, so Constantine came in and he was in a battle. I forget what the, the bridge's name was, but he had then the vision of the cross in the sun and then he painted the shields with the, the symbol of the cross um, and then he defeated the army. But there was actually a little bit of, 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 of hijacking, of cultural... Um... <laughs> <laughs> what do you call it uh, when, when you must use a, cult a cultural appropriation where he knew he was a very skilled because um, he conquered Britain pretty much with his father. Um, so he was a very skilled general and he knew that the people he was fighting against, like there was these pockets of like proto-Christians among them. So if he could appeal to them um, to help him fight, especially from the eastern side of the empire, that's why he then established Constantinople um, in the eastern part of the empire and then did all those and then legalized Christianity within the empire and then also converted to Christianity on his deathbed was to appease those people who helped him achieve that victory. And I mean, that's like the central part of an empire is military expansion because you start promising everyone who fights for you land. So you have to <laughs> you have to keep conquering land to be able to give to like the generals and the captains and all those sorts of things. So it's it's a it's a I I love I loved researching for this episode because it allowed me to go into like the real history like the he real history that was happening at the time. And then you have this kind of undercurrent of Christianity and you see how it starts spreading throughout the, the, the Roman Empire. Interestingly, isn't it? E eventually Christ conquers Rome. <laughs> <laughs> that was a leap in logic, but okay. <laughs> um, you, you know, I think all of us struggled when you engage in the history of the church. Yeah where there's a there's a book that I had taken a quote from um, of a writer I've never seen. Uh, her subtitle to the book says, God found in the wrong people. Hmm. And um, and so is it an embarrassment to the Christian? We, we, the Christian faith is all about the triune God revealed mm. through Jesus Christ. Um, and we see everything in a Trinitarian way, uh, which encapsulates the incarnation, creation, incarnation, death and resurrection, ascension, mm. and the ongoing work of God's spirit. So, so it, it gives life to, to, to us because of who God is in that simplistic um, definition of the, what, what I said now early on. Mm. So, so are we embarrassed when certain people 
play a part in the history of of the church and of Christianity, who, who like right now, for example, for a number of years, we in Africa, or let me say South Africa, the Anglican Church in South Africa, has begun to try and dismantle our colonialness mm. because of some of the damage that it did to the indigenous people and their faith. At the same time, the indigenous people have become Christian and Christianized, mm. but also see value in their cultural stuff. And they, I mean, one of the things that we have uh, uh, been speaking about is the whole thing of ancestors as Christians. Do we are we able to understand ancestors, and can we embrace them now? Uh, the 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 argument is, and a very fine argument. If we say no to this, then why are we? Why do we espouse a history of the saints? Yeah. So yeah. do we look to Abraham as a as an ancestor of the faith? We may not pray to Abraham, but we recognize him as part of a, a, an example of what it means to be faithful to God. Mm -hmm. So with Mary and all the other things, it's very interesting. That when we did the Stabat Mater on Holy Monday this year, in my conversation, post-conversation um, with um, Charlene and others, uh, uh, we, we, we listened to, because, because one of the people who, who were part of this, the, the Tigerberg City, City uh, Choir, when he greeted me at the gate, said to me, in all their performances of this, this was the first time it was encapsulated in the act of worship. Mm. And then Charlene said, but others have said it as well. And she said that TCC offered it to a church in the Strand. Um, I'm not going to say the tradition of the church just because I don't want to badmouth anybody publicly. Mm. But when it came, when the, when the minister understood that the focus was Mary weeping at the, 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 the cross. Um, and because Mary was the focus, he chose not to have it in the church because part of their cultural understanding would be Mary must be downplayed as far as possible because mm -hmm. that's a Catholic thing. Yeah. You see, so there's a lot of things that um, could stand out as an embarrassment to us. Like, whether we like it or not, the 12 Crusades is an embarrassment to us. Mm. You know, like, uh, did did all the the, 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 the the brothers and the sisters who came over to, to be those who pro propagated and taught and built the church here and got members of the local community, did they all have wrong intentions in the art to sell, uh, to sell England to us, to sell... Um, German, Germany to us to sell, the Netherlands to us, whoever else came to try and claim yeah. this yeah. space here. Uh, did they all do wrong? No, I think there's a great benefit of it. People like Desmond Tutu would look back at the people who taught him. Mm. Um, Trevor Huddleston is not seen in the same light as the others because Trevor, Trevor Huddleston was one who embraced the local culture and did not deny. But, you know, if you look at the genealogy of Jesus, 
and you go through the list, then Jesus would also have been embarrassed by some of the people who form part of his, um, what's his name? But it's not written out of the script. Yeah. So then what does that tell us about Christianity and the God that we're seeking to worship who we believe is revealed to us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ? Mm. Um, do we look at those other things through him um, mm. and not see them as embarrassments we don't even want to consider? Because there are things to even learn from them. Yeah. In the local congregation, there may be tensions between how a priest leads the worship, how he teaches the um, lay ministers, how he preaches, how he celebrates the, the communion. Um, when I listen to, to some of, of the critiques, then it stands out as an embarrassment to to our people. Mm. But now, is it the, does the person and their actions invalidate the, the gift of, the, of, the, of Scripture to us, the gift of the Eucharist to us? And that's the argument we've had. I can't invalidate that which is already God's, even when my performance of it is, is not what helps people mm. um, so I go back to the text that we that I cited in the Luke passage what did they remember what came to their mind they remembered his words mm. so that's what we've got to continue going back to of course there's an argument that says are all the words quoted in scripture in the gospels particularly that of Jesus <laughs> so some somebody search into that because there's mindsets about that. Um, some people say two thirds of the of it is not one third is. Well, you know, I hear Lindsay say something, I repeat it over to somebody else, but I may not repeat it in the same way Lindsay does. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yes, deep research, reading, reflection, sharing with others, people can help us. Mm -hmm. uh, but my my point that I'm making is. Is it an embarrassment? Is, is Constantine an embarrassment to the church? Is colonialization an embarrassment to the church? You know, are there other, um, uh, what's his name? Right now, for example, with all the denominations we have, mm. uh, I mean, I'm beginning to look at the, 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 the evangelical movement in America as something I would not want to be associated with because they do not propagate the gospel for me. Yeah. In, in a particular kind of way. So now, are these words important for me in that mm. journey? Then they remembered his words. Mm. I guess the point that I'm trying to make, uh, uh, I was pondering throughout this kind of preparation, is that there's such a fixation on the resurrection on what is being celebrated on Easter, that you kind of lose sight of the actual legacy, how the church, the Christians lose sight of how the church actually proliferated. Um, where I was having a conversation with, with my mother-in-law, where I was telling her that 
nothing that Jesus did, like if, if there wasn't the victory over death, that galvanizing moment, what would Jesus' legacy have been? Would there have been a church? So like, to me, for Christians, it's impossible to not celebrate this period. It's impossible to not celebrate the crucifixion. But there were other people who were resurrected from the dead. That line that says in the Nicene Creed, um, which Constantine, within the legalization of Christianity, needed to establish like a code of conduct, like a belief system. And that's why he called all the bishops together at the conference of Nicaea. Of Nicaea. And, and then there's like that line of, we look to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Um, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. It's it's such a small line, and most Christians have said it a thousand times. I've said it a thousand times in my life because I've been to church a good number of times at the behest of my mother. Um, uh, but it's like there's so much more to the story. There's so much more to celebrate outside of the miracles. Like, that's why I, I separate Jesus into two, where it's like the one part of him, he was actually spreading the important stuff. And then the other part, he was doing all the superfluous stuff that was sometimes counter to the mission that they were on that could have caused any number of the apostles to be disillusioned by it. Because now you're starting to feel yourself a little bit too much. Now you're in this relationship with Mary Magdalene. Now you're raising freaking Lazarus from the dead. Now you need to ride on this cult into the thing and people are seeing Hosanna in the streets and like what happened to helping? You know, what happened to talking to people at the well? You know? What happened to that? And it's, it's in those quiet moments, the, the unheralded moments where the magic for me the fascination is it's in those moments of two guys just writing letters and establishing churches and spreading this idea around the world around the roman empire their idea of the world at the time and having it feedback as an entire emperor the last Unified Emperor of Rome, the last two, it was Constantine and then here, the next one as well. He was also Christian. Um, before everything started going belly up for, for Rome, but for that to have started with a little, in a little town, in, in Bethlehem, in Nazareth, in, in Judea, in to be so insignificant to Pilate and Herod and Augustus at the time. Like that for me is is the interesting story of, of Christianity. You you are a true agnostic. <laughs> uh, in that you 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 don't think there's enough proof to to buy into a Jesus that creates miracles. Um uh, 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 he, just that first part of him telling us what he's all about in terms of his teaching in your mind 
could suffice? Mm. Did he need to do the miracles? I said earlier to you, I believe that the miracles was as a result of what he was teaching mm -hmm. and part of the outcome of the work of the whole work of salvation um, already being revealed in those works and in the words that he was preaching and proclaiming. Um, so, so interesting enough, coming back to this that I that I focused on in terms of the Gospel of Luke 24, mm -hmm. um, verse 6 says, remember how he told you while he was in Galilee. Remember, they remembered his words. Why, why do they not say they remembered his works? Mm. Why did the words become so important uh, in Luke telling us this resurrection narrative in his 24th chapter? And why does the word remember come up here? Why is remembering so important for current time? Um, so I would want to just leave you with this word. When you research and write your research, your intention is to impact your readers mm. enough that they will inform others about the impact of your epistle that you have written about whatever the subject mm. is. So in that inspirational moment of their writing, their encounters and teachings with people, the impact of Jesus and the gospel narrative, the understanding of Jesus as the one who reveals God to us, impacted those who heard that message and then retold that out of their experience of the impact of the message itself. So 2,000 plus years later, we are still impacted uh, by that message. I want to just say this to you. Mm. On a Thursday evening, we I wasn't able to help because of my condition with the um, stripping of the altar and the clearing out of the sanctuary for Good Friday as tradition um, would have it. So I was sitting in the sanctuary while they were doing this and uh, of course ESCOM had placed darkness on us so we all had our those who had cell phone lights mm -hmm. and so um, Five-year-old stepped through the darkness from his parents to look for me in the sanctuary. Mm. And he came to sit next to me. Had his little um, play dog in his hand and said to me, how did God create the world? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been privy to those conversations as well. <laughs> right, on the Monday, Thursday event of the washing of the feet, the image of God as creator appeared in this man's mind. And he thought I was the best person to ask uh, this question to him. <laughs> I said to him, you know, it's like when, a, when an idea forms in your mind, you write it down. Once you've mm. captured the idea, you then can see how you must construct whatever it is you want to make. His response to me was, oh, 
So it's just like when I'm writing a letter to my cousin now in East letter to send to him. And I then try to say, yes, your letter, the, the, the letter and the envelope is all the constructs of the content that you put on the paper. That was the action. And when I said that to him, he said to me, I'm going now. Did I really meet his question? <laughs> Did it impact him enough to be able to make a correlation because what he was doing and in his mind what how God created this world, which I mean, I never even dreamt of that answer to, to anybody before because the question is opposed. But why was I thinking the idea, the record of it, and then the making of it? Why would that idea strike him as God creating? He, as part of that creative work in writing the letter. Mm. The impact is the question for me in what in what you are saying. Did what they learned from Jesus impact them so much, change their thinking, their lives, their purview of the world and how it should be constructed? And then to share that. Mm. Both by being with the community and in the writings that they left for us which we see now as inspired words, inspired stories. So for me, the, 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 the resurrection story in, for me this year, the resurrection story says, did we, do you remember how he told you? Do you why did he, they remember his words at that given time when they went to look for him at the grave? Mm. that moved them to the next step of the unfolding of the of the gospel to all the world. Mm. I'll respond to your one comment by saying that um, the attention-grabbing kind of clickbaity ideas is the more profitable way to conduct oneself. Uh, but I think my personal kind of stories that I tell. I tried to go just a couple of levels deeper where the impact is actually a lot more lasting. Where it was like, <laughs> I've had my son many a time at bedtime, then he asked the most deeply philosophical questions. And the one time he asked me, I think I've re recounted this before on this podcast, where he was like, does God play with us like little toys? Mm. And he was motioning to his, his Lego toys. And I was like, well, I don't believe that because I don't believe in something having control over my decisions, having planned out my life ahead of me. I still put a lot of emphasis on the decisions that I make for my own life. But if you believe that, that's okay for you. And he's like, yes, I think I believe that. And that's okay for me. And on that note, I will close off. Thank you very much for this conversation on this wonderful Easter. Happy Easter to everyone who is celebrating. Um, it's the middle of the fast as well. So happy Boober Day. <laughs> to yes. The Muslims and this.
Passover this weekend is a, an intersection of many great religious feasts, and we must all be tolerant of each other and be cognizant of the fact that everybody has the freedoms to make their own decisions and carry their own beliefs, and never let your belief impact on somebody else's ability to hold their own beliefs as well. Well, I am... Whatever I was going to say to you, I'm going to leave it till next time. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you, Lindsay, and I appreciate the fact. I I was going to say this to you, though. Um, if the God story did not have any relevance for someone who's an agnostic, mm-hmm. why is it that they constantly meeting people who ask the questions about God, even their children. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, because I am tolerant of all, (laughs) and my wife has a deep relationship with Jesus and wants that for her children as well. And I don't have a problem with them immersing themselves in a philosophy that teaches Love, universal love and acceptance. Great, my brother. <laughs> have, a, have a splendid uh, Easter time with your family. And yes, we do indeed say God bless upon our Muslim brothers and sisters, Jewish brothers and sisters, and all peoples of other faiths, or those who would say they have no faith. We are still part of um, the world and sisters and brothers together. <laughs>